This podcast is a publication of the Engineering Management Institute, where we build professional development systems to help engineers and their firms grow. You can now download our recently published AE Industry Trends Report, which contains answers to the following questions. How long will the great resignation last? Are firms still allowing remote work and how is it affecting their productivity? How are successful firms using data to create people-centric cultures? You can find answers to these questions and more in our latest report, which you can download at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Hello and welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. In this episode, I will be talking with Lawrence Krubner. He's a technical co-founder of three startups. He's a consultant and author. And we'll be talking about the importance of one-on-one meetings, remote work, big meetings, and why he thinks that one-on-one meetings are some of the most basic and important skills of great leaders and managers. I'm your host, Jeff Perry. I'm the founder of More Than Engineering and the creator of the Engineering Career Accelerator Program. And I focus on helping engineers and technology professionals with leadership and career development resources to create meaningful careers and lives. And this is the Engineering Career Coach podcast brought to you by EMI, the first podcast dedicated to helping engineers and technical professionals with both their personal and professional development. Now it's time to jump into the main segment of the episode. Today I have the pleasure to have with me Lawrence Krubner. Lawrence, thanks so much for joining me on the show today. Welcome to the Engineering Career Coach Podcast. It's fantastic to be here. Thank you for having me. I'd love for you to just kind of start out to tell our listeners a little bit about you as we're getting to know you. Tell us what the day-to-day life looks like in the, the life of Lawrence. Sure. So I got into the tech industry 22 years ago, and back when it was still the wild, wild west, things were really quite wide open. I uh, started writing some software that helped with the management of large uh, files and um, was helping with some customers of mine who initially I attracted freelance. And then in 2002, I ran into my business partner, Peter Agilasto. We talked it over. He was in the music industry, so he had a need to manage large amounts of audio and, and video files. So we formed our company, Starchive, in 2002. He was the CEO. I was CTO. I remained there until uh, 2008. And um, Starchive, it's a wonderful little company. It's still in existence. It's still profitable. It's still running. Its technology gets better and better every year. AWS did a big write-up on it recently. But I moved on because I wanted to have um, a, a sort of a broad range of experiences with both large and small companies. So in recent years, I've been working as a high-level consultant. And I've worked with both very large companies like uh, Time Out, uh, you know, big international firms, helping them plot out their newer, better architecture for uh, higher loads than they'd handled previously. I've also worked with a very large number of startups, and it's startups where I think I really have so much to contribute because having now managed so many teams and so many different experiences, I see a lot of inexperienced entrepreneurs who make some relatively basic mistakes, and it's those basic mistakes that I'm trying to help them uh, recover from. Just based on what I've seen, I, I have some sense of what works well. That's where I'm at. With your experience of being in large and small companies, consulting and, and startups and all sorts of different experiences and teams that you've worked in, one of the things that we really want to dig into today is talking about connecting with those teams, certainly as leaders, and the quality one-on-one meetings. So want to just have you kick us off here. Like, Why do you think that one-on-one meetings are so important and maybe big meetings with lots of people? What are your thoughts on those? 
I'm so glad you started it, that top level question on such a broad way because I, I think it it's great for me to just sort of give a, a top level interview. So I've been working with a lot of startups, and at startups, I've often had to help people who came up with a brilliant idea, and now suddenly they're they're building this colossal business, and it's great, but they don't actually have a huge amount of experience in leadership. So they make some basic mistakes. They've been through school. These are intelligent people. These are ambitious people. These are very driven people. They get tremendous good advice, but sometimes the advice is a little too vague to for them to really implement. And it's good to get into the details. All of them have been told, oh, you know, have a one-on-one meeting. It's good advice. But they don't actually know how to manage that one-on-one meeting when they actually get there. They're like, okay, I'll have a one-on-one meeting. But what does it actually mean to have one meeting? The crucial thing is when you're meeting with people, you need to, in the first place, start with some open-ended questions. But then the important thing is not to leave it there, which is, you know, I think the single most common mistake that I see is they sort of like, how you doing? <laughs> they get some relatively vague advice, which is not actionable. It's not useful. It doesn't reveal very much. The whole point is to use that time to discover something important about what's going on in the business. If you have a one-on-one meeting with someone who reports to you, first of all, you want to hear their concerns. And that means you need to get past any vagueness. And second of all, if there's been any kind of conflict on the team, or if there's been anything, any kind of trouble that you know about, you know, there was a very serious bug that was unexpected. And then you ask the engineer, why did that break? And they give you kind of a vague answer. That's not good enough. You need to dig down. You need to ask question after question. Then it's important to emphasize this. You can do this in a respectful way. I've said this to people and I've been like, no, no, you need to show emotional maturity. You, you should never get angry. You should never be disrespectful. But at the same time, you need to ask follow-up question after follow-up question until you've got past any kind of vagueness and really gotten into the truth of the situation. And occasionally people will get a little defensive if you're asking too many questions. But then the question is, if someone reports to you and they're getting defensive, why is that? What Are they trying to hide something? It's good to get past that. And again, the goal is not to hurt someone's feelings. As respectful, you can be very respectful in doing this. But the, the crucial thing is just remember, we're all part of the same team. We're all trying to be successful together. You want to get to this point where you've discovered what the truth is that as a team, you can fix it. And they need to understand, they need to be able to trust you. They need to be able to know that you're going to respect them and you're not going to lose your temper, but ultimately you do need to get to the truth of the matter. Let's step back even one more step here, Lawrence, and just talk about when we think about one-on-one meetings, like what is the goal? We're talking about like digging in deep and really understanding the heart of the matter. But when you think about just the purpose of a leader and someone on their team coming together on a one-on-one meeting, what is the purpose? What should we be seeking to accomplish? Maybe from the two perspectives, even the leader and the person on the team, maybe they have different perspectives and, and the purpose that they're trying to accomplish there too. Can you provide some big picture thoughts on that? Big picture. The goal always is simply the success of the team. The goal always is mutual communication. The goal always is to for each side to be able to explain their point of view. If you're in a leadership position, your top concerns might be revolving around the budget or some deadline, or you know, you might have to report to the CEO if you're not the CEO, or if you're the CEO, you might need to report to the board of directors. Uh, you have your set of concerns. They have their set of concerns, right? If they're the head of marketing and they are telling you that they need a little bit more budget to hit some aggressive sales goals, they're trying to communicate that to you. They might need to go into some detail. They might have some evidence that they've seen that that they tried five different campaigns and this newest campaign is really working well. And if it just had a bit more budget, you'd be able to hit the sales target. They might need to time to go into some detail with you. It might get somewhat technical. It might get somewhat, you know, you might have to get pretty far in the weeds before you truly understand the perspective. 
And so a one-on-one is a good place to for you to talk very honestly, very frankly, without having to, you know, worry about any third or fourth or fifth person in the meeting, you know, getting bored or or sidetracking the meeting. I could talk about large group meetings, their benefits, but also exactly why they sometimes are a bit of a productivity hit. Let's move there for a moment. I'm curious to kind of talk about the opposite side there as we have one-on-one meetings, but also large group meetings, you know, could be one single team or larger team, right? Depending on the context, but yeah, tell us what your thoughts are on those. Large meetings could be a useful tool for getting on information, but I think for most of the time, you need to stop and ask, could this meeting have just been an email? You know, I mean, you go to business school and that's, a, I think, a fairly common bit of advice. But I noticed too, a lot of the people I work with, you know, they are smart, they are driven, they have been to amazing schools, they've gotten all the good advice and they still forget it once they're actually running their own businesses or in a leadership position. Uh, last year, you interviewed Mark Hirschberg and, uh, you know, it was a fantastic interview. I really enjoyed listening to it. One of the points he made is that this isn't like memorizing a mathematical formula. This is more like a sport. If you want to do uh, layups in basketball, you have to keep practicing and practicing. So it's not enough that you heard this thing one time in business school, you know, five years ago. You've got to be reminded of it often and you've got to keep practicing until you pick it up. So with any big meeting, there's the question, you know, could this meeting have just been an email? You know, could it have been a Slack message? Could it have been a message on WhatsApp or Yammer or whatever tool you're using to disseminate information within your organization? If you pull together 15 people into a big meeting, that's 15 for a one hour meeting, but 15 people, that's essentially 15 hours of work that, that could have benefited the company, but instead it's all happening in this meeting. Now, there might be a reason for that, but you need to ask, you know, carefully, was those 15 hours of work, was that well spent? Was it good to spend those 15 hours in that meeting instead of having those people doing their individual jobs for that one hour? The crucial thing is, the high level advice here is, avoid anything that's gonna damage the overall productivity of the team. The absolute worst thing I see is when a manager pulls together his whole team or her whole team, and yet they're basically just having a series of one-on-one meetings. That's where the whole team sort of takes the biggest productivity hit. For the manager, they're thinking, oh, this is uh, saving me a lot of time. I get to meet with everyone at once. I'm going to talk to this person for 10 minutes, this person for 10 minutes, this person for 10 minutes. Yeah, it saves the manager a lot of time and uh, he or she can feel like they've used that time wisely. The problem is you look around the room, you see some people are getting bored, they're daydreaming, that they're waiting for their chance to speak. It's actually just a series of one-on-one meetings, even though it's, it's held as a large meeting. What anyone in a leadership position needs to remember and I'm just saying this based on my experience. And I've worked with many, many um, startups, and I've really seen this lead to just healthier dynamics within the organization. I've seen this over and over again. What a le- anyone in a leadership position needs to remember is they need to demonstrate a certain, just a certain discipline in terms of who they invite to a meeting. If they truly, truly need input from both the marketing team and the engineering team simultaneously, okay, so you invite one or two people from marketing, one or two people from engineering, you think carefully about who you're inviting. But the thing is always, you're inviting the minimum number of people who absolutely need to be there. The meeting is honestly productive because large meetings tend to get out of control. They tend to be overly broad. They tend to get sidetracked. They tend to waste a lot of time. One-on-one meetings, by contrast, are almost always productive, You know, especially if it's a spontaneously called one-on-one meeting. It's been called because someone, one of those people has something they very much need to say to the other person or need to hear from the other person. So far, I've mostly been talking about one-on-one meetings from the point of view of someone in a leadership position, but it's also very true, and we can talk about this more, even if you're not in a leadership position, you can proactively ask for one-on-one meetings and, and they can just be fantastic, both for getting your concerns out there and for helping team dynamics, and also in a longer term sense, sort of 
you know, can help your career in the long run and that you're always making sure you've got clear communication with the people you need clear communication with. Just kind of recapping on the big meeting conversation, like we need to make sure we are absolutely clear, like what's the purpose of the meeting? What are we trying to accomplish and who really needs to be there? And if there's other information that comes out of that, let's communicate that in another way. We don't need to take up a half hour, an hour or more of other of too many people's time, but still appropriately communicate the things that were decided and, and need to be communicated outside of that. When we come back to one-on-one meetings though, Let's talk about this because we're talking about productivity. Like, yeah, meetings take time. And so if we're thinking about depending on a manager or leader who has a number of direct reports, they're trying to meet with their team members one-on-one on a regular basis. That can take a lot of time too. So what are your thoughts on how often managers should be having these one-on-one meetings with their team? The larger the organization, the more disciplined you have to be about who. You know, the question comes up, who? At a small startup that only has 20 or 30 people, it's kind of like everyone can meet with everyone. You know, it's a small team. Once an organization has more than about 100 people, you can no longer meet with everyone. So the question becomes, well, who specifically do you want to talk to? And i got to say, just in the last two years, I've had uh, several clients that were sort of in the range of 100 to 200 employees. And when I was coming in and trying to come up to speed as quickly as I could, I knew that I wanted to have you know, a lot of one-on-one meetings with people to sort of get their perspective and and have a conversation that was very intensive in terms of, you know, sharing concerns both ways, allowing me to ask the questions I needed and get the information I needed. But I couldn't meet with everyone. So there was that question, who do I meet with? And we can imagine like an ideal organization where the org chart is absolutely perfect, you know, very hypothetical, very idealistic, just absolutely perfect org chart. And then, in a sense, in that very fictional world, you could think, oh, just follow the org chart. You know, the org chart's perfect. Just talk to the people who are at the top. They know everything. They, they're in the right positions. The thing is, there's almost no real-world organization that has an org chart that is perfect. I think we all know this, but every organization has its both formal hierarchy and its informal hierarchy. And it's important to be aware of, of both of those. Even when a company occasionally gets it just absolutely perfect, if it's a growing, changing organization, that perfect org chart is typically only correct for like a certain amount of time. The situation is fluid. The situation is always changing. The organization is growing and evolving to meet new circumstances. Then the org chart changes and or outside circumstances change, and it can take time to sort of update the, the formal org chart. So what I have learned is that there is sort of a, a secret shortcut that has helped me several times, which is simply to ask, okay, what was the most recent crisis? And then how did the organization react? And that is like an x-ray into the true organization of the company, which may not be the formal org chart. In a crisis, people often ignore the formal org chart and talk to the people who they know really have the information they need, really have the resources they need, really are high priority. Uh, To give just one example, I was dealing with a business-to-business company, and they had a serious bug in their software that brought their servers down for about 12 hours. And this is business-to-business. Over here, they have a large customer support team that talks directly to the business owners who are the customers. And over here, they have the engineering team. The initial response was on the engineering side. It was the servers had crashed. There was a software bug. So the engineers had to figure out things initially. But then, crucially, there was this whole secondary response. There had to be a message developed where the message from the engineering had to be turned into something that was simple enough that a non-technical business owner could understand it. And that message needed to be given to the customer support team. And then the customer support team needed to communicate that out to the business owners. And there had to be that reassurance. First, during the outage, 
the customer support team had to be reassuring, like, yes, we're working on this. We we understand your concerns. We're going to get to this really quickly. You're our top priority. And then once things were solved, the, the really important thing, the customer support team needed to be able to communicate, hey, you know what? We know what this was and we have fixed it. And this kind of thing is never going to happen again. We're putting in you know, these three remediation steps to make sure there's never going to be an outage like this again. There has to be that whole process, but that brings together several teams, right? There's the engineering, there's the customer support, there's the top level leadership that had to organize all of that. And when you ask, okay, so which engineer noticed the bug and who did they bring in to help on the engineering side? How is that connected to, you know, communicated to top leadership? How did top leadership then liaison with the customer support team, that whole set of communications did not necessarily follow the formal org chart. You know, it did not necessarily follow chain of command like they might in the military. There were some people communicating to each other in an emergency simply because they know that person right there knows probably how to fix this, or that person on the customer support team is probably the best one to communicate in a crisis. They know how to keep their cool. And you ask, okay, well, who did you talk to during the crisis? And it, it is like an x-ray. It gives you a deep vision into how things really work in this company. And then you're asking, okay, well, I can't talk to everyone in the company, but who am I going to have a one-on-one with? You can just sort of pick out the key people and how they responded to a crisis. And that'll tell you who to have a one-on-one meeting with. It's interesting to to use those crises because that's how people are really reacting and who they're trusting to go take care of things and and stuff and, and get to see, yeah, not just the org chart, but who are the people that are really trusted to get things done in those circumstances? So that's interesting. Exactly. I want to switch gears here just a little bit, Lawrence. Like obviously with coronavirus and everything the last few years, there's been a big shift towards more remote work than, than we ever had before. We were already on that track a little bit, but plenty of leaders and managers are working in multiple locations or working remotely, people from home or hybrid work situations. So what are your thoughts uh, for leaders and managers who are trying to create those connections, communicate effectively with their staff, bring teams together, even in a remote environment that can be difficult at times? So that is a huge question, right? That is an enormous topic. We could spend an hour just talking about that. I've got a few high-level points to, to raise on this. First of all, I just want to talk about a problem that I've seen that I want to address. I want to get it out there so people are aware of it. One thing I notice is that people tend to be a little bit more, I want to say, passive-aggressive with their text communication. I just saw a really quite serious uh, case. A very good software engineer almost ruined his career because he was uh, irritated with someone else on the team. And instead of just sort of addressing it in a direct and honest way, he kept posting passive-aggressive text messages to various channels on Slack. And the tension just kind of built up and became a tension that everyone on the team was aware of. Now, dealing with a situation like that, some of the responsibility is on leadership, but also some of the responsibilities on each individual worker. It is so much more healthy to just ask for a one-on-one meeting and then just express what you need to express. It is so much more healthy and it is so much better for your long-term career to just try to be as direct and honest with people as you can. Instead of you know just sort of posting these kind of like somewhat griping comments on, on a tool, internal communication tool such as Slack, just figure out who you need to talk to and then talk to them. And if you 
unable to make any progress with a person once you've talked to them directly, then of course, maybe you want to escalate the issue. If it's a serious issue, you want to escalate the issue and, and ask some manager to get involved. And if you're in a leadership position, if you're one of the managers and you see this developing, you certainly need to step in. First, talking to the one person and being like, please don't post passive aggressive messages on Slack, but then also, well, what are your real concerns? And if the concerns are serious, with someone else, you know, someone else hasn't been giving you the tools you need to get your work done. Okay, well, we're going to go talk to this person and straighten that out as well. That's a fairly basic task for any manager to handle, and it's important to handle it directly. I hope I'm clear on this point is some people fall into bad habits around text communication. There's an appropriate time to just be a lot more direct, a lot more honest, and, and ask for a straightforward conversation with people. I'm just saying that as a warning to a lot of people, because we're all working from home so much more. There's no longer that sort of natural and organic, oh, I'm seeing you at the office. Let's talk for five minutes over here just to straighten things out. So we all have to be a little more self-conscious, a little bit more self-aware. This is a totally separate subject, but I can also talk about onboarding new employees. Uh, you know, it's a wide open subject. It's changed, of course, a great deal, right? I've been working now with a lot of companies that are 100% remote. There's a lot to say here, but I think at a very high level, you know, with a, a few nuances that we can get into maybe, at a very high level, being able to work from home has clearly been a powerful benefit for older employees who have children, like having that flexibility, they really enjoy it. But for younger people who are at the start of their career, they are in a sense missing out. You know, there used to be a whole informal onboarding process that would just sort of happen spontaneously. And now it needs to be planned. Just this year, I have hired several people at the beginning of their career. And I know I've had to be much more deliberate in terms of sort of designing their onboarding. Whereas once upon a time, I might have been like, well, you know, go to the office, talk to some people, maybe make some friends, maybe go out to lunch with a friend, maybe they'll informally tell you how things work at this office. If this person is like out in San Diego, you know, and I've got no one else in San Diego, so their whole communication with the team is going to be through this little window through Zoom. I have to, in a sense, design their whole social life to get started. I have to be like, okay, well, we're going to go through some things. We're going to set you up with some people. I'm going to have you chat with this person on marketing and this person on engineering and this person on product development. I want you to get to know all the people in the organization. I have to kind of like design that in a very concrete way instead of just sort of assuming it's going to happen by accident. And I think everyone who's in a leadership position needs to be aware of that. There is a real sense in which leadership is more difficult at a company that is 100% remote. There's a real sense in which being 100% remote puts an additional burden on managers. There's a whole lot of things that once upon a time might've happened accidentally or organically, and now you have to very deliberately make sure that it's happening. It's a great point. And, and some of the challenges there is people are sort of coming up in this often remote first world, which has plenty of benefits as, as we know, but also plenty of challenges to you know, some of those, I mean, we talk about the loss of water cooler conversations or spontaneous one-on-ones or connections that people would be able to make can be a challenge. I also want to go back real quick to your point about uh, digital communication earlier. I just want to briefly share a, a story in, in my own career. And this was true even when I was working in an office where pretty much everyone was there in the office. But there were still plenty of digital communication channels that were used in, in different ways from email to whatever chat functions we were using and project management software and, and everything else. So there's so many different channels that you can be communicating different things. But there was one situation where I got very angry and was taking a lot of deep breaths to try and calm myself down over a decision that was made. And I was on leadership team, but 
trying to figure out, okay, how do I address this? I very much disagree with what happened and the decision that was made because I saw from my perspective and my team's perspective, the impact that this was going to have in Cascade that I didn't feel like was understood when the decision was made. So just a little lesson that I learned there is sometimes it's nice to type out or write out what you need to, but then take a pause on it for a second when you're in that space of being quite angry. And and I was able to lean on another leader that I trusted, that I knew I had a good relationship with, perhaps also had some other perspectives that I didn't have in this situation. So I took this to her and read through it with her. And I just asked for her advice. Is this something I should be sending or addressing? Should I get on my war horse? Or is this something that I really isn't going to be helpful? And I was able to use someone else for that. And and her suggestion was to not send and even was able to provide some insights and perspectives that I didn't have that I was then able to share with my team to help us you know, say, okay, like this is a decision and, and we got to move forward with this. Like the resistance is, is not helpful in this situation. So just a thought like, hey, when you have those thoughts of sending that email or, or posting that thing in Slack or whatever that is, take a deep breath. If you need to have a one-on-one conversation, even with someone who's external to the situation, but can just give you that perspective to help you say, is this really helpful to do at this point? Because if not, the whole passive aggressive thing or whatever is, is not going to be helpful and, and productive because the whole point, as we've talked about earlier, is the success of the team. And so how can we make the decisions that are so it's just a lesson that, that I learned in that situation where I was on my war horse, but needed to calm down a little bit. That is a fantastic story. I like that very much. And I've got to say, it's also a common story. You know, I mean, I sadly see this happening quite a bit. And I got to say, there's two different levels of mistake that a person can make. One at a high level, I would just say, try not to ever write an email in anger or when you're frustrated. It's just going to come out wrong. But then two, the absolute worst thing you can do in that situation is send it to like a large group of people. You know, you send it to 10 people. It's always a mistake. You know, if you've written uh, something in anger and you're sending it to 10 people, you are always going to make, and I'm so sad to see that I, I still see people making this mistake and, and potentially damaging their career when they do so. If for some crazy reason you've written an email in anger and you've just absolutely got to send it, you just cannot control the impulse, then please just send it to one person. Just, you know, whoever you're most friendly with in the organization, send it to them and be like, should I send this to 10 people? And they will almost always tell you, no, don't send this to 10 people. We're going to talk this over. We're going to work this out a little more quietly than, you know, putting this in writing and sending it to 10 people. Now, Lawrence, I want to come back to this idea we're talking about onboarding or young engineers or, or others who are starting their careers in, in a remote world, things like this. We talked about onboarding a little bit, but beyond just onboarding and coming into the company, some of it is like the skill development, whether it's the social skills of presentation and communication, working with people, understanding some of the how to navigate different relationships and corporate politics and all sorts of different things that were developed over time just through those interactions and relationships and and different things that happened. So, I mean, beyond onboarding, how do leaders and managers go through this process to help build those necessary skills to help people come up in this remote first world so that they can help build the ability and capability of their team members as they're starting out? Let me take a step back in time and talk about the world before remote work became so standard. Just in an old-fashioned organization where we were still working mostly in office, 
it was still important to have some kind of mentoring program. And mentoring programs help in a few different ways. One, you're helping that individual. You're investing in them. You're trying to bring them. You're making a commitment to them, you know, so that they will be, you know, more useful to the organization in the long run. But also, when you mentor someone, you're also, in a sense, helping the organization because that's often a great way to find out how much, what kind of talent you have on your team. And the larger the the organization, the more common it is to have some undiscovered gem, you know, some undiscovered talent that you didn't even know was in your organization. And without some kind of formal mentoring program, you have a lot of talent that goes undiscovered. Having an actual commitment to be like, yeah, we're going to help you develop your skills, both technical and, and sort of social, it helps you discover what people can actually bring to the table. It also increases, you know, for the most, we talked about this in, in different ways, I think common advice in business circles, but when you're willing to invest in an employee, the employee is more loyal to the organization and that can have benefits that are highly uh, mutual and synergistic. But let's talk for a moment now about the modern world where so much of the work is remote. Things change a little bit, but also some of the old justifications for, say, having a mentoring system, they're still true. I mean, in a sense, now that we're all remote, it's even more difficult for leaders to discover what kind of talents they really have in the organization. And so having a, a formal commitment to mentoring is even more, more urgently needed. I just hired uh, a young woman who's at the start of her career. She's a software developer. I knew she was fairly raw. I brought her in and gave her, I, I warned her up in, ahead of time that her first assignment was going to be a bit of a deep dive into uh, AWS and data pipelines and engineering data lakes, et cetera. So she knew she was uh, going to be diving deep. I also knew that because she was at the beginning of her career, uh, she would need a lot of handholding. So I arranged... I was dealing with this really fantastic, incredible engineer named John Liebgruber, 20 years experience, just amazing. And I, I arranged for him to have some time such that he could spend about an hour a day with her for the first few weeks so that she could really come up to speed. And that helped in a number of ways, right? Both her technical skill, but also sort of like giving her an anchor. I spoke with her most days, but I couldn't make time every single day. John, I arranged to have him spend some time with her every single day so he could provide an anchor into the organization for her. And then as she branched out and was like, well, you know, now I've got a question about the product development. Who can I talk to on the product team? She had this person she could definitely talk to every single day. And uh, that was crucial for onboarding her. She learned, she transformed in the first six weeks. You know, I mean, who she was in as an employee on the first day and, and who she was just six weeks in was, was very different. She learned at an incredible pace. And we were, the thing is, we made this investment into her and, and now the company is going to be rewarded with just years of this hyper-productive uh, individual. So, Making that kind of commitment is important, and it's even more important now that we live in a, a mostly remote world. The other thing I would just bring up, and this is sort of related to what we are talking about before regarding the limits of, of text communication. Text communication is just fantastic when you have announcements that you need to get out to the whole team. If you have some information about you know, a new strategic decision that's been made or some uh, project that needs to be met by a given deadline and what five steps need to happen before the objective is considered fully achieved, you can put all of that into an email, but people will have follow-up questions. And so that sometimes can be answered in a series of back and forths on an internal communication tool such as Slack. But sometimes it's best when people have questions that are very specific to how the new project applies to their own specific work. Again, it is super useful to have a one-on-one -on -one and, and really drill down with people so that they understand their place in the organization and also they can surface their concerns. Sometimes you know, it comes back and it's like, you know, I was given this thing three weeks ago and I was told I was going to have two months and I was told it was the number one top priority for the whole company. And now you're telling me I have to go work on this. So we can't have two top priorities. So what is the real top priority? 
And it's great for them to bring up that concern. And then you can really think about that and have to make a decision like what is the real-time priority and maybe some changes have to be made about deadlines and priorities. Well, Lawrence, I really appreciate all the thoughts and insights and advice you've been sharing here. Now, at this point, we're going to transition into the Take Action Today segment of the show where we get one final piece of actionable advice from Lawrence. We'll be right back. Now it's time for our Take Action Today segment of the show. Lawrence, we've been talking about a lot of different things from big meetings, small one-on-one meetings, to remote work and onboarding and everything in between. But as we end off here today, I'm curious what actionable advice you would have for the leaders and managers out there who are trying to make sure that they're getting the right things done and working with the right people to accomplish their goals. So if you're in a leadership position, I want you to think about your top three objectives for the next month. What are your top three objectives? And then think about what are your concerns about those top three objectives? You might be worried about a deadline. You might be worried about budget. You might have some engineer who you're worried isn't doing enough. Or you might have some concern about marketing, which has been previously missing deadlines. Now you're worried if they're going to come in on time. Whatever your concerns are regarding your top three priorities, is there someone specific that you can talk to? Can you arrange a one-on-one and ask the questions you need to ask to be sure And again, you can be very respectful when you do this, but you need to be very direct and honest and drill past any ambiguity and keep asking follow-up questions until all ambiguity and doubts have been removed and you are certain are going to accomplish those three objectives. And if you are not in a leadership position, I just want to speak to all the workers, you still have objectives that you've been given and that you have hopefully agreed to and committed to for this next month. And if you have some concerns that you have not been given the resources you need, you also should stop and think, who can you talk to, to have a conversation, to get past all doubts, to make absolutely sure you have what you need to meet your top three objectives for the next month. So figure out what you need to accomplish and who you need to talk to that can help you remove any roadblocks in in your way. So thanks so much, Lawrence. This has been such a fun conversation. I'm sure there are going to be people who want to connect with you or learn more about you. Where would you point them to if they want to connect with you and talk to you in the future? My email address is lawrence.krivner.com. So they can reach out to me at my email address and I'm always happy to talk. I also have a book out. One-on-one meetings are underrated. Group meetings waste time. They can find that at amazon.com and probably a whole bunch of other booksellers. I certainly enjoyed this conversation. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah, thanks so much for being here. Wishing you continued success as you continue forward and all of your work and everything you do. Thanks so much and take care. Thank you. Take care. I really hope you enjoyed the episode today. We would love to hear your feedback, comments, and questions. You can go to www.engineeringmanagementinstitute.org where you'll find a summary of the key points discussed in the episode, as well as links to any of the resources, websites, or books that we mentioned. And don't forget to check out any upcoming live webinars also at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org. Additionally, for any engineers who are struggling and need help taking the next career step, I've created some free training resources with an opportunity to join a more intensive program called the Engineering Career Accelerator. You can find more information at Engineering Career Accelerator. Until next time, I wish you the best in all of your engineering endeavors. 
Thank you for listening. And don't forget to download the latest version of our AE Industry Trends Report to get answers to the questions that you want to ask your staff, but you may be afraid to do so. How long will the great resignation last? How long should you allow employees to work remotely? And how are successful firms using data to grow sustainably for the long term? You can learn the answers to these questions and more by downloading the report at engineeringmanagementinstitute.org.